that would like this journey, and uh, we are to journey together. Um, and so this journey of transformation, we spoke a little bit about last week, just some of the things we've been praying about and looking at. And we're looking at Moses uh, in these chapters of Exodus and this journey that Moses um, took. But we're going to be backing up a bit today as we look at the first chapter and into the second chapter of Exodus. And so we're looking today, tonight at Hopeful Beginnings. Uh, It's quite interesting. I don't know if any of you guys saw this film. Anyone saw this film? Us. Wow. What did you think of it, Bryce? It was good, wasn't it? Quite good. Uh, and true story, which made it even better. Um, it's one of those films that kind of went under the radar. Um, and Hacksaw Ridge, uh, quite interesting about first class Desmond Doss, um, who talks about his story where he uh, was part of World War II. And uh, for his own personal reasons, and if you watch the movie, you'll realize why he had personal reasons to do so and personal convictions. Uh, at, for his religious reasons, he was a seven-day Adventist, uh, he refused to carry a weapon. And yet they were saying, well, you can't fight. And he says, no, I want to be enlisted, but I won't carry a weapon. And he refused. And, and the, the movie is about his battle because they had never heard of anyone uh, fighting, going to war without carrying a weapon. Even the medics had to be trained in, in the weaponry, right? And yet he went to be a, wanted to go and wanted to go as a medic. And he said that God would take care of him. And so he went to uh, Okinawa and there on Hacksaw Ridge. He ended up saving over 75 lives, 75 fallen soldiers. And I love this statement. You know, there's a few powerful statements uh, in this film. He says, I don't know how I'm going to live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. Powerful statement. I love this one, and it rings out in the movie as he prays. Please, Lord, help me get one more. thought, what a statement. Please, Lord, help me get one more. And so this evening, as we back up in Moses' life, because our story tonight, Moses is just a baby. Uh, As we back up in his story, we see that sometimes we have to stand up for what's right. We have to stand up for what's right. It may be a big thing like this Desmond Doss had to do, or it might be something minor where we stand up and say no to gossip when another person wants to get into that. And there's all different ways that we'll be called to stand up in our day. But let's uh, look at the passage tonight, Exodus, now the slide. Exodus chapter 1, looking at, starting at verse 8, and we're going to go right to uh, chapter 2, verse 10. It's a familiar story. You've probably heard it in Sunday school. And uh, we're not going to read the first verses uh, of Exodus there. We're going to pick it up in verse 8, Exodus 1, verse 8. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies. Fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built... Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, 
the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians became to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. And so God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She kept Moses securely guarded and quiet. I, I couldn't help to think about what she must have went through. Imagine trying to keep a baby quiet up to three months. Now, that would be quite a task. And, and so she hid him and, and tried to keep him quiet and realized there came a point where she couldn't keep him quiet any longer. And she had to find a way to save this child. And so she saves this child. She's, she's pretty smart, eh, when you think about it, because Pharaoh said, put, him, put these baby boys in the Nile. And that's exactly what she did. Think about it. Pretty smart. So she finds this basket, and lovingly she gets it ready and puts uh, tar and pitch in it and makes it water safe, and she places her child in the Nile. And I've had the opportunity to go up and down the Nile, and it's a pretty wide river. It's a big river, uh, and, and it's pretty huge, and there's a great current in it. So she's, she's putting him, that's why Scripture tells us along the reeds on the side, he'd be hidden. The basket was made from reeds, so it would be hidden in those tall grasses. And so in the height of Egyptian per persecution, she had the courage to have a child and to keep the child and to hide the child and to protect the child. And she went against the, the laws of the land. She went against Pharaoh and all that he said. And, you know, somebody said it's uh, amazing, her bravery and resourcefulness, and it's no surprise that her three children would become leaders, Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, that God would use all three of her children as future leaders. And then we see this young girl, Miriam, the sister. Do you realize that she goes up to the princess of Egypt? Think about it. 
Pharaoh's daughter is there with her entourage and everyone around, and this simple little Hebrew young girl, some say 13, 14, goes up to the princess and says, would you like me to find a nurse for you? <laughs> Amazing when you think about it, the, the bravery of this young girl. And we can see in recent days how young people and children are changing our world. They're making a difference and are being heard again. And so uh, the, the nurse, I mean, the princess says, yes, take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. You know, what's kind of interesting there is Miriam had worked it out. She watched over her baby brother. She wouldn't leave him. She cared for him. She wanted to see what would happen. I mean, there's great trust here from the mother and the sister of leaving this child in the water, expecting God to provide and do something. And, and so it's amazing when we see that, what she was able to do and the fearlessness to go up to Pharaoh's daughter and to present this idea. And then here is, is Moses' mother that is not only getting to keep her son, but she's getting to nurse her son, and she's getting paid. And history actually believes, when they look into this, that she was brought up into Pharaoh's court to do it. So she had this time now to raise her child. And as she's raising her child, she's speaking Jewish to him. She's telling him the stories. She's sharing all of that with him before she takes her child and hands him over to the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, so that she would adopt him now as her son. So it's amazing to see what God is doing in this passage. And then we see these midwives, Shifra and Pua. Now, this is a very corny joke, but I thought I'd add it in. By the way, did you hear about the hospital in town that was running out of maternity nurses? All the nurses that are here. They called it a midwife crisis. Corny is right. <laughs> it's a pretty bad joke. <laughs> Uh, Shifra and Pua's courage earned them a very high place uh, in the moral heroes of history. See, for them, it was about conscience versus conformity. It was about justice versus the laws of the land. I pray that we never, as Canadians of, and people of faith in Canada, ever have to come to that kind of place to make those kinds of decisions, right? But here they were. And, you know, when you look at the original wording in that, they believe, some of them believe that the way it was worded, it could be interpreted that not just Jewish midwives, but it, a lot of interpreters believe it is the midwives to Jewish women. And so they actually believe that these possibly could be two Egyptian midwives that were fearing God more than fearing Pharaoh. Now, that puts a twist on it. Because it says, would Pharaoh really go to Jewish women, midwives, and tell them to do something? Most likely to kill the children, he would have probably had Egyptian midwives try to do it. And yet these women would not do it. They wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get to that place when these boys were born that they would kill them. And I mean, I know tonight we could get into the whole, uh, what everything that's going on in our world and our day of the unborn child. And we don't have time for that tonight. But you know what's beautiful in this passage? That they were pretty smart because when Pharaoh came and he was upset with them, they even found a way to answer him that seemed to make him happy. 
these Jewish women are not like the Egyptian women. They're very vigorous, and we don't get there in time. And he fell for that somehow, and God spared them. But you know what's beautiful in this passage? In, in the verse 20, it says, God dealt well with the midwives. It also says that he gave them families of their own. In tradition, a lot of the women who didn't have families were the midwives because they could move around freely and help women give birth. So they were probably single. They were probably didn't have a family of their own. And the scripture says that God gave them even families because of how faithful and courageous they were. And then the odd one in all of this is Pharaoh's daughter. This foreigner, this one from away. Can God, people, God use people that are not yet fully in? I believe so, absolutely. Uh, and, and God was speaking to her and using her. And we know her name is Bitya because of 1 Chronicles 4.18 tells us that, that she had a name and she was the princess of the land and she came to bathe in the Nile. Basically, she went swimming. She went, went swimming. And she heard the sound of a baby crying. And that baby was Moses. And Moses captured her heart. In one special moment, the daughter of Pharaoh broke the pattern of cruelty that her whole nation was doing. Think about that. And God would use her, an outsider, and in the very courts of the king, in order to make a way for Moses. We, we'll see that in weeks to come, that Moses, to be the leader that God would use him, imagine, imagine being trained and educated in Pharaoh's court. Wow, right? <laughs> this simple Jewish man who was born to Jewish slaves is actually being raised in Pharaoh's court. God was already setting things in motion and preparing a way for what is to come in the weeks ahead. Imagine Pharaoh's daughter. She knows exactly the law that her father made, and yet she's willing in good conscience to stand up to this cruel law that her father had made to save this boy and to give this boy a home and a future, and this boy would become the future deliverer of all of Israel. And so we can see in these five women, there's some actions that we can learn tonight in our day, very applicable, that we can learn from this beginning that we're coming to, these three stages that we can see in the story. The story is sad at the beginning. I mean, I didn't read the first eight verses, but you read those verses after verse eight about the plight of the Jewish people, how things had quickly turned for the Jews. Under Joseph, everything was wonderful. Under the previous Pharaoh, everything was wonderful. One man was put into leadership. No, we don't want to get into politics. And everything changed. That's how quick it can happen overnight. And so, in the midst of that mess, those women had to know. And no matter what we're going through, we were just singing in the back room some great songs that were saying the same thing as we were praying for the service tonight. Hold on, God knows what he's doing. God knows, right? They knew that God knows. 
See, nothing catches God by surprise. We can see this wonderful story as Moses is taken care of and provided for. Reminds us of what we just came through in Christmas when Jesus, by his parents, had to flee to Egypt. God has a passion and a heart for Egypt. You see Egypt all throughout God's story. And, and this, again, fleeing for this place of protection, right? And so we can see that in the midst of everything, God is always working all things together for my good. Love that song that makes that statement. Even when I cannot see it, still I believe it. God is working all things for my good. And he was working all things for Israel's good. He was working all things together for Moses and his family and, and his people for their good. God is intimately involved and present in our lives. Now that's a powerful statement if we can let that resonate in our bones. <laughs> God is intimately involved and present in our lives. And he was present in the cleverness of the Hebrew midwives. He was present in the softened heart of an Egyptian princess. He was present in the quick thinking of an older sister and in the religious fervor and faith of a mother. God is present. You know, if we could just, you know, even as Pastor Mike said this morning, we really do need each other. We need to be together because that's when I'm feeling that God isn't present in my life. I can see him present in yours. And it encourages me to believe that God is present. There's something that these women did. They feared God and not man. They feared God more than fearing people. Someone said desperate times call for desperate measures. To do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. They were willing to stand up against evil. They were willing, what they were doing was illegal. They could have lost their lives to it. It would take great courage. And we found that in verse 17 with the midwives. The midwives, however, feared God and did not and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live, that verse says. To fear God means to be in awe of him, to respect him. And I think it's time for us as the church again to fear God more than to fear man. I think we've got to fear God more than the opinions of people. We've got to hear from God, and we need to fear him, and we need to take a stand for what is right. And that's the third step. Notice I said the word humbly take a stand. This isn't brash. This isn't in your face. This is not out with a placard marching around. Sometimes God calls people to do that. Don't get me wrong. But these women did what God called them to do, and they did it humbly and quietly. But they were obedient to what God was asking them to do. And so we can see that they decided to take a stand. We realize that Ephesians tells us that, that when we're in a battle, and it could be the battle against the enemy of our souls, when we are in a battle, we are told what to do. We are told to put on the full armor of God to pray and to stand. God fights the battles for us. We don't have to fight them. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what your family members are going through tonight. But God would be saying to you, just take your stand. Think of the old good army songs. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. I can hear the big drum going now. And so as we bring this to a close this evening, Exodus begins with this initiation into leadership of a remarkable man. 
which we'll see in the weeks to come. But let's remember these five extraordinary women who were also great leaders, hidden away, but took a stand in humility and were willing to make a difference that now all of history has changed because of it. That one baby was saved, and he would then become the deliverer of God's people. Moses, great, the great prophet Moses. We think of so much of Scripture is because of Moses. And it took five women to take a stand humbly, to not fear what Pharaoh was saying, and to realize that God was in control even when we do not see it. They had courage and conscience, and we need courage and conscience. I just thought of these little words here. The midwives revered God. The mother and sister, Miriam, trust God, and even Pharaoh's daughter was used by God. I think God wants to do the same for us tonight. He wants us to revere him. He wants us to trust him, and we, he wants to use us. There's a poem that um, James Lowell read, wrote. It's an older poem, but I think it's very powerful with what it says. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth and falsehood for the good or evil side, though the cause of evil prosper. Yet the truth alone is strong, though her portion be the scaffold and upon the throne be wrong. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow keeping watch above his own. Powerful statement. Pastor Mike mentioned this morning uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we'll go back to that scripture in a minute. And, and we've watched the film. We've actually talked about it, Life Together. But again, that was an, a person who came to me. He had him in his message, and I have him tonight in my message. Um, but as we've shared with you quite a few times, uh, that picture down below, I don't know if you can see it. I've seen pictures in the past of churches in Germany. This is an outdoor service. That's, that's not a Nazi rally there. That's an outdoor church service that was going on in Germany. And so Adolf Hitler knew the importance of faith communities, and this is where he started his propaganda. And so, so much so... Uh, they made a new Christian symbol. They took the cross and put the swastika on top of it and made a new Christian symbol for the church in Germany. And as you notice, right up on the big swastika flag, it was quite normal to go into many of the churches in Germany and the swastika was right across the front. It was on the communion table. It was just there. And when you speak to people in Germany about the history of it, they say, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with it, but they didn't speak up. They didn't do anything about it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke up. He was one who didn't believe in it, and there were others like him, and there was this kind of underground Christian evangelical movement that would not bow to Hitler and the Reich. And so many of them paid with their lives. They took a stand, and we had that question about civil disobedience, that in Germany and a lot of Germans were not all for Hitler. There were a lot that were trying to take a stand. There were others that were even hiding Jews and helping Jews and uh, doing all that they could because they knew it was wrong. It was just wrong. 
And so, you know, we need to think often, this is not November in the persecuted church, but we need to think tonight of those that are taking a stand for the cause of Christ and standing up and paying in some countries, paying with their own lives or, uh, or, or paying with their livelihood. Their family will never get ahead. They'll never have what other families have. I still remember what we saw in that persecuted church, the guys having to clean. Remember the, yeah, um, that just touched all our hearts when we saw what the Christians were having to do. I was sharing with somebody this week about Cuba, how the pastors are the lowest of the low on the pay rate because of the fact that they're Christian pastors, the you know, communist country says, well, we have to take care of them, but we'll give them the lowest of the low because they're pastors. And so the pastor's families pay. You know, are, are we, are we, what, you know, we've got such comfort. Are we willing to take stands in our day? Is there such a place when God calls for us for this civil disobedience that we're going to take our stand? You know, in the early church, what did they say? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And so I'm, I'm hoping you don't have to stand up to a pharaoh. <laughs> but maybe we need to take some stands and some small things in our lives. And we just need to say, that's enough of that. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. Um, sometimes, I mean, that's what's sin in our lives. There's certain things in our lives that God would want us to take a stand and say, Lord, with your help, I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. I'm going to speak up. I find even as pastors often, um, you know, we'll just kind of let things slide because heaven forbid that would offend somebody. Well, maybe we need to speak up. And not just pastors. Leaders in the church. In love. Humbly with a tear in our eye, but once in a while there's some things we need to speak up and say what needs to be said, and we need to pray up before we do and uh, allow God to do that work that only he can do in this day. Just compromise and complacency will never change anything. It won't change history, that's for sure. And so we need a church, once again, that takes a stand. Amen? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and that's where we need to be careful in the church in Canada. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Um, and we won't give you any details, but, but some of our denominations in Canada, uh, other denominations, they're looking at there will be the reality that by 2040 they will no longer exist. And that's their people saying that. And one of the reasons why that I believe that we believe, sociologists have said, is because they started to compromise about 10, 15 years ago. And because they've been compromising and thinking that was going to fill the church, ultimately it actually is destroying the church. One of the things today that you'll find that churches that are growing in Canada are the ones who have a very firm belief system and they communicate it and they stand firm on it. Those are the churches that are actually growing. Because people know when they walk in the door what they're walking into, right? That's a whole church growth thing, though. That's something completely different. Uh, Let's just stay.